Have you ever lost touch with some people and wondered, what are they up to these days? Well, looking back to season one of this podcast for the hashtag vintage series, I know that many of my guests have grown leaps and bounds since we've last talked, and I wanted to give you, the listeners, a chance to hear where they are now. And in today's episode, our special guest, Scott Perry, shares his journey of jogging in cemeteries and how his business expanded from teaching future rock stars to business coaching with Seth Godin's workshops. So stay tuned for his inspiring story. You won't want to miss it. And to hear more inspiring podcasts, check out the Lima Charlie Network. We are a group of thought leaders and podcasters with the goals of improving ourselves, inspiring and educating others, and bringing valuable conversations to both military and civilian audiences. You can find out more at lemacharlienetwork.com. We look forward to delivering valuable information to you loud and clear. Yo, what's up, everyone? This is Joe Bogdan from the Llama Leadership Team and co-host of the Llama Lounge Podcast. And I wanted to share with you this amazing opportunity to become a published author and become a fire starter. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Well, it did to me. And joining the Firestarters Book Project was an amazingly easy and fun way to get my feet wet in the published author space. Shay and Christine made it so easy to navigate through the publishing realm and gave me the blessed opportunity to share my story with the world, and they would love to do the same for you. They are seeking aspiring authors like you to collaborate with them, and the best part is that they are going to do all of the hard work for you. All you have to do is commit to the process. You have nothing to lose and so much to gain. So join the team by visiting firestartersbookproject.com and tell them Joe sent you. It will change your life for the better, I promise. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business. So check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change at my website at shaysparks.com. And while you're there, feel free to connect with me on all the social media links, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And today, our guest is the amazing and incredible and my dear friend, Scott Perry. So welcome to the show, Scott. Shay Sparks as I live and breathe. What a wonderful <laughs> time. I can't wait. Can't wait. Let's go. We let's go. So we have known each other. We were just discussing five years. Yes, within the Alt MBA alumni Slack group that we had going way back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, in digital years, that's like almost that's almost a lifetime. <laughs> right. Cause that's when zoom was new. That's when Slack was new. You know, now everyone knows what those things are. And way back then they were like, what? I can talk to people across the world with this. Yeah, for real. It's uh and what a great uh, gift that Seth provided us with giving us experience mm-hmm. with all these powerful tools, you know, before the rest of the world had to use them. So yeah, right. you, you, you and I got a little ahead of the curve. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. And You know, I'm just so excited because I just aired recently our first interview, which was back in, I believe, 2018. (laughs) 
(laughs) mind blowing. What? How many years was that? That's a lot. And I also just came across on Facebook memories. Those are so wonderful to have is that uh, my first podcast interview was on your show. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I am appreciative of you, your presence in my life. So thank you for being here. Well, likewise. I mean, I think you're being on your show is one of my earliest podcasts. Um, And so, yeah, what a gift. What a gift to have you in my life and to have this chance to reconnect. Mm. And I will say, you know, to go back and listen to it, so much has changed. The quality of audio has changed immensely, especially on my part, but also just being able to like the conversation, how it flowed. But I will say yours was definitely by far such an amazing conversation. And we talked about this new book that you had out back then called Endeavor. Mm -hmm. And I know there's just so much growth and change that has happened. So Tell us, where are you now? Well, right now I'm sitting in the corner of my office. I spend a lot of time in the corner of my office. And I'm here in beautiful Floyd, Virginia, center of the universe, as far as we're concerned. Still married to my best friend. Have two grown boys, just as we were talking about. Was gifted with our very first grandson. And Mm. we are thrilled about where we are in life. And in addition to all that most important stuff, I recently just like you retired fully from my self-employment and as a musician and as a guitar studio owner. And I am now ending my tour of duty as a head coach at Akimba workshops and really getting into doing my own thing, creative on purpose, uh, full time creative on purpose is dedicated to helping people heed the call of vocation to find the difference only they can make and live their legacy And so people like you and I are doing this right now. We have heeded the call of vocation all of our lives and done what we were called to do. And at some point, things change. And so I'm just super excited to be able to, on a full-time basis, help people, you know, to kind of define where they at, where they want to be, what's really in their way, and help them get step into possibility with the difference only they can make. Mm, I love that. And you are the chief difference maker in creative on purpose. So kind of tell us how the chief difference maker came about. Yeah, well, I I had to note when you were making the introductions of yourself, you mentioned the word investment, and I've always loved your branding of your podcast because investment is so important. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit. But then you're, you're the chief excitement officer. And <laughs> I don't know how you came upon that. But You know, when I was building my brand, I mean, we don't get a lot. There's not a lot of perks to to Mm -hmm. building your own thing from the ground up. But you you and I both know that it can be really rewarding and challenging work. Mm -hmm. And when I was thinking, like, am I the founder? Am I? I thought, Mm -hmm. that's founder is so boring. Like, what do you want to be? I mean, you can name name your title, name your title. I was like, chief difference maker. That's what I am. Mm -hmm. Um I tried a couple things before then, but Chief Difference Maker really speaks to what I do because I call my coaching program Difference Maker Coaching, and we have a Difference Maker community of alumni of the coaching program. And so making a difference is something that you and I were just kind of born to do. We mm-hmm. did it. It was amplified through our pursuits in Seth Godin's Alt-MBA and in the, everything that we've done ever since. And so just uh, Difference Makers make things better. And so... 
if you're going to choose a title, choose one that you really love. And I, I love being a ch- chief difference maker. <laughs> well, you definitely are an example of that in everything that you do since I have known you for five years. And what I love is that you are, you can tell that we are creative people. <laughs> Because for me, when I was thinking about my role and my title, I was like, well, I am not office I do not want to be called project manager. I do not want to be called executive anything or assistant or administration. Like that is not my thing. And so I was like, I used to be a cheerleader growing up. And I love that excitement when I see other people exceed and just, you know, succeed and do so well. And so I, even if it's an aha moment, I love watching that and I get excited. And I thought, well, you know what? That's really what I am. I'm the chief excitement officer. So that's my story. (laughs) Well, it's a perfect title for you, I must say. And I love the other thing about the way that we've gone about choosing how we name what we do is there's an element of playfulness and I think not taking yourself too seriously and naming the work that you really that you really do. I think it's all really, really powerful. So I, I love Chief Excitement Officer. I think that's an <laughs> awesome title. Well, thank you. And you mentioned playfulness, and I just want to kind of touch, go a little bit deeper there. So how important, because we're both creative people, so how important do you think it is to add playfulness to a company culture? Oh, wow. That's a great question. One of the first things that I did when I finally arrived at my branding creative on purpose is I, I wanted to have a very clear definition of you know what those t- two things mean. And so for me, creativity is a simple human act of making change happen. And when I think about the clients that I work with, oftentimes they are people who have kind of had their creativity, they're disconnected from their creativity, it's Mm -hmm. been stripped from them by institutional schooling and, and occupation. And what a crying shame, because we were born creative creatures. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think there's three defining characteristics of being human. We are inherently social creature. We are born to work with and for and care for each other. We are inherently conscious creatures capable of reasonable reason and rational thought. Not that we act reasonably and rationally all the time. We certainly don't. And we're creative creatures. We're creatures that solve interesting problems. And we often do that in collaboration as conscious creatures. And so... When you are a child and you decide that it's time to start walking, you don't have a conversation with your imposter about whether or not you're worthy of being a walker, or you don't take an online course or go to YouTube for videos about how to walk. You see these people doing this walking thing and you think that looks pretty cool. It might be a way to get to the cookie jar. So you stand up and fall down and stand up and fall down and stand up and stay up and take a step and fall down and on and on and on. But you know, there's, there is a lot of laughter, the occasional bumper bruise, and it's an immersive, joyous experience. And it's, it's playful Mm -hmm. and, and you can still get something really important done. I mean, if you think about the things that you learn to do, First in life, in terms of talking, walking, reading, writing, riding a bike, these are impossible things. And you do them with very little 
instruction. Hopefully you grew up in a home where you got lots of encouragement, but you, you know, we are just creative beings. And so I think playfulness is a crucial part of that. Natalie Nixon has a great frame for creativity where she says it's toggling back and forth between wonder and rigor. Mm. And I think the walking example refers to that, but doing challenging things doesn't have to, doesn't mean you, you have to have a frown on your face or just chin up and, and persevering through hardship. I think all challenging work can be done with joy. And that's probably informed by my lifelong interest and love of Stoic philosophy in part. But I, I think long before I knew what Stoic philosophy was and how to live joyfully through all of life's this challenges, I always believe that it's supposed to be fun. And I remind <laughs> myself of that every day. And I remind my clients and, and the students in the Kibble workshops and everywhere I go, it's supposed to be fun. I think it's supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that you say that it's supposed to be fun because I think as children, that at some point there does come a time when we are squelched, right? We're like sold that it shouldn't be fun. We got to take it seriously. Like this isn't about being creative. This is about being intelligent and analytical and logical rather than the creative side. So was there a time of your life, a defining moment, if you will, that you experienced that? Maybe it was a teacher saying it to you or maybe a parent. And you were like, I have to hide this creative side of myself. Yeah. Well, I think in general, our um, society, our institutions, both educational and occupational, they're all really dedicated to this idea of there's one way to do this thing and we're going to teach you how to do it. And that denies the diversity of human approaches to thriving learning, our varying temperances and tolerances to challenge and hardship. And I will say that I won the lottery when it came to being able to reconnect with my creativity early. I was in a kid that moved around a lot. My father was a corporate, an organization man with AT&T, or it was in what we used to call Ma Bell. So we moved every couple of years. I was always in new schools. It was really challenging for me to, you know, make friends and stay connected. And I wasn't a highly engaged student and I did not thrive in my learning environments in elementary school and uh, middle school. And when we, when I was in the seventh grade, my parents went to a parent-teacher conference, and uh, most of my teachers didn't even realize that I was in their class. And mm. they said, oh, wow, this is not good. And it just so happened that we lived across the street from the headmaster of a private school in town. And my father just went to him and said, listen, you know, I don't know that we can afford this, but, you know, I got to do something to help my kid. Is there some way that he can apply for a scholarship or what have you? The headmaster took a liking to me, took me on a tour of the campus, found some money that made it possible for my parents to go there as a day student. And I was went from being in a class of 32, where the teacher didn't even know I was in the class, to being in a room with seven other kids and had two phenomenal teachers, who both of whom I still am in touch with today, Wow! who just nurtured curiosity mm-hmm. and taught the value of doing hard work for good reason. And so I, rec- and, and allowed us time to, 
go stomp around in the around the pond and rustle around in the grass and you know jump across the creek and all those kind of things so i reconnected with that that impulse really early and i have to say you know i cannot be more grateful to both my parents and to those teachers for you know probably i mean i think the framing was you know we don't know which it's going to be, but Scott's probably headed to juvie or an early grade. So I don't know whether my life was saved or not, but it, it sure felt that mm. way. Well, I'm sure it was. I think there's something about creativity and and harnessing that uh, energy into good when sometimes when it's squelched, we turn it into bad right? Because we're just trying to let out all that energy, all that creative juices flowing. We're just trying to get it out and create something. And it could be creating trouble or it could be creating fun and playful and just joy, like you said. And I love that you mentioned the word curiosity. I think that that is an undervalued word Mm -hmm. in our society. So how often, and with your business and with your work with the Akimbo programs, how often do you see curiosity is something that needs to be rediscovered because we've been that that professional adult that's been kind of squelched down? Yeah, it's another great question. My assertion is that we live in a world that rewards overconfidence and certainty about mm-hmm. things that we have no, that are just not absolutes that we can, we should have no overconfidence or certainty about almost everything. Cause everything is, you know, other than our perceptions and our actions are beyond our control. And so to anybody that projects that certainty and confidence that, that the world um, seems to reward is living a deluded life and that kind of system rewards people, you know, rewards a very narrow segment of the population. It's mostly people that look like me and it denies privilege and opportunity to people that don't look like me mm-hmm. when the truth is. And I don't think that there's, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think that, you know, there's a cabal that's designing society this way, but systems become the status quo over long stretches of time. And as we've been talking about, our school systems and our jobs are also rewarding overconfidence Mm -hmm. and certainty. And I think in part, it's driven by this misconception that opportunity is a finite resource. And I disagree with that very, very vehemently. I think that there is, just as you and I are beings with infinite potential, abundant potential and possibilities, so are opportunities and possibilities as they exist in the world. So how do we how do we how do we step into the edges of our understanding and ability and step into our potential and possibility? I think we have to re-engage with our natural instinct to be curious, to ask questions, to try things that might not work, to bring playfulness into (laughs) the way that we engage with all of life's, you know, celebrations and challenges. And so 
what if we designed a, a paradigm where we, we where instead of rewarding overconfidence and certainty, we, we instead rewarded curiosity mm. and consideration. Mm. And, you know, those are two of the foundation found, founding principles of creative on purpose. We want to create a world where there that rewards curiosity and consideration and explore possibility and potential. Mm, I love this. And this is exactly why we're friends, because you are just doing such a, a service for humankind by providing that. I think for me, I had started stepping out of my comfort zone as a practice on a regular basis several years ago, probably, gosh, probably 12, 13 years ago now. And when I would tell people that I would be doing these things that were completely out of my comfort zone, they were like, wow, I can't believe you would do that. And I heard this theme over and over and again of how brave I was or how much courage I had. And I was like, well, thank you. And I'm looking at it as I'm just curious. Hmm. I'm just curious and I'm exploring that curiosity. Well, I think courage is is a required is required to to do mm. that kind of work. I think we misunderstand what courage really is. It's not, you know, grabbing a gun and running into enemy fire. That's recklessness. Courage is, is you know, is one of the virtues that Aristotle said is the golden mean between cowardice and recklessness. You want to be somewhere in the middle. And courage to me is doing what needs to be done and heeding the call of your intuition, your inner wisdom to do the things that you need to do with intention and integrity. And, you know, that's what purpose is for me. It's about doing things on purpose, with purpose, for purpose, in alignment with who you really are, your core values, your guiding principles, you know, your the, the content of your character. And so I, I love what you said because we treat courage like it's this rare thing that only some people are born with, but just like we're all born with creativity and curiosity and a collaborative nature, we're also born inherently courageous. Again, mm -hmm. as an infant, how much courage does it take to do something you've never done before and to do it over and over and over, failure after failure after failure, until you stop doing it bad, poorly, and start doing it well? That's just, again, a basic human instinct that we can tap into anytime we decide to. I lo love this conversation because curiosity, like I said, is just something that we don't really explore enough as a society. And I think that's really where a lot of the answers lie is in the outside of the box that we're already thinking of. And so I'm curious about you, Scott. I know, like I've said, we've followed each other and been friends on social media for at least five years. So, and I know one of the things that you do is that you like to jog in cemeteries. <laughs> so tell us or share us the story. Why? What's the purpose? How did this all come about? Like, did you just take a wrong turn one day and there you were and you found it just soothing and calming or is it a totally different reason yeah, of jogging uh -oh. in cemeteries? Well, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So I've always really struggled with my weight ever since I was very, very young. And when I was about 45 years old, my wife and I were still raising our sons on our farm and just, just up the road from where we live now. 
And I, I remember seeing, I guess it was around my wife's 40th birthday, because I remember seeing pictures of myself and just going, holy cow, what has mm. happened to you? And thinking, I, I might have taken a couple years past that moment, but I was like, I've got to do something. I was working really hard and trying to homeschooling our sons and maintaining a farm. And it was just hard to, to you know, f- it was easy to make excuses for not getting out and getting some exercise. It was easy to just turn to my favorite activity, which is eating lots of pizza, popcorn, and <laughs> butter. And one day I just made a decision that I'm going to start walking every day. And I mean, I literally started by just walking up the driveway to the mailbox and back, and then I'd walk to the end of the street and then I'd walk a mile. And then eventually I got up to three, four miles. I started jogging pieces of it. And eventually I was jogging three or four miles and I lost 75 pounds in a matter of months just by making simple changes to my relationship with food and exercise. So fast forward to after we sold the farm, we moved to town and I was super excited because on the farm, I was running on dirt roads and, you know, twisting my ankle on gravel and Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. in town, there's sidewalks and crosswalks. I mapped out, I think, a three mile, five mile run that took me to the cemetery. And the very first day I went out for a run, I was crossing a crosswalk. And I came literally within an inch of being hit by a car. I felt the fabric of my shirt get tugged by the rearview mirror. And I had this, you know, it completely freaked me out. I turned around and, and kind of jogged back home and was like, well, you know, this whole jogging from the house to the cemetery and back is probably going to land me in the cemetery. So I'm going to just drive the car the mile to the cemetery and I'll jog there because it's so the cemetery in our town is on the highest point in town, but we live in the um, foothills of the blue Ridge Mountains. So the blue Ridge we have, I can see just miles and miles and miles of the blue Ridge mountains. There's all these hills and, and farms around. There's you know cows lowing in the field. There's always da- deer prancing by. Mm. Lots of birds, lots of plants and flowers, and of course, and there's these headstones. Sounds like a Disney movie, other than headstones. Yeah. <laughs> well, it became like a meditation for me. So I mentioned my interest in Stoic philosophy. One of my favorite quotes is from Marcus Aurelius: "Imagine that you're imagine yourself is dead. You have lived your life. Now take what is left and live it properly." Mm. And so. The first time I was at the cemetery running uh, around this, it's a a little over a half mile loop all the way around, that quote came to my mind. And so it's for, I don't know how long it's been now, probably at least five years that I've been, you know, driving to the cemetery, getting my run in and then coming back. But I position it in my day, you know, I've already put in a lot of work. It's my respite. It's my meditation. And afterwards... I just was in a place that reminded me that my time on earth is finite. You better, mm-hmm. if you're going to make a difference, chief difference officer, you better do it now. I get home and I recommit to doing mm-hmm. the work and it's helped me really focus on the difference I seek to make. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. I had a feeling it had to do something about kind of like grasping and embracing every day is at your last I had no idea about the, the the shirt almost getting pulled. Well, you almost getting run over. So I love that you shared that story. Thank you. Because oh, thank you. Sometimes yeah. I think that's what 
wait, literally wakes us up, right? Is some sort of near death experience or diagnosis or bad thing that happened. Then you're like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I need to start thriving rather than just surviving. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because, I mean, right now the programming that we're doing is around this idea of living your legacy and it's helping people that are nearing the end of the, the first half of life where they've maybe had roles as, you know, in their career or job or, you know, raising kids and, and keeping a household and they're waking up to the idea that there's got to be more to what I'm capable of than what I've done so far. I think I still have a lot to contribute and I don't want to just, you know, retire and play golf all day. And, you know, David Brooks has a beautiful metaphor in his book titled The Second Mountain. And what one of the things that I have come to learn with working with people that are seeking their calling and want to spend the second half of life contributing and serving and sacrificing rather than just scrambling up the first mountain of status and stuff is oftentimes the, the desire to change mountains comes from a failure or from a fall. Mm. And you and I both know Shay that you can't live a life worth living without experiencing some real hardship or Mm -hmm. even trauma. And the thing about, you know, some people fall and are broken Mm -hmm. and some people fall and are broken open. And Mm. I mean, I think that's been my experience and you know, it's, it's a way that you can be grateful Mm. for the things that almost took you out because they opened you up to the possibility that you're capable of so much more and so much better than you've done so far. And that the things that you had valued, like fame and fortune, whatever words you want to use, mean very, very little. Um, and you get to decide and think about what do I really want to be remembered for? What's mm-hmm. the, the change that I want to make? What, you know, living, I, I, I say that live your legacy. Is, you know, legacy is the, the mo- money and monuments you leave behind. It's the difference you're making right now. And so what difference do you want to make right now? Embrace that. Do that. Beautiful, beautiful. Again, coming up with that word curious. So I love what you said about living your legacy now. And so there's two two things that I want to ask. So was there a moment, a defining moment other than the near-death experience with the, the running? Was there something else or was that it where you were broken open? Yeah, there definitely was. I mean, I just finished reaching, reading Howard Brooks from strength to strength. And then David Brooks's book is also really good. I would also say that Parker Palmer's work and James Hollis's work are all worth seeking out around this. It appears that there's good science that says that we're all going to experience significant shifts in our life every decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the exact number is more like seven or eight years, but let's mm-hmm. just call it decade. You know, when you are reaching that point in your life where your kids are getting grown and about to be gone, if you're navigating a life worth living, there's just going to be challenges. And, you know, without getting into gory details, I mean, there there was a moment in my life where I was like, this is not working for me. I think I'd like to mm-hmm. take an exit and came close to succeeding. And it took a couple years of 
you know, lots of good help and therapy to, to climb out of that. And mm-hmm. when I did, I just decided I wasn't effing around anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to live and love and learn as fully as I could and do as much good for as many people as I could with, again, whatever time, you know, I have left. I mean, you and I were speaking just before we got on about some of the tragedy that you've experienced with your, you know, losing family. I mean, we've been living through a pandemic. We, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't know <laughs> that your time is finite by mm-hmm. now, I don't know that, you know, I don't know what kind of delusion you're living in, but it's, it's really probably not the healthiest way forward. I mean, you take care of business right now because mm-hmm. it could end at any moment. I agree. And yes, I have experienced a lot of tragedy and trauma in my life. And I have lived by this from the moment, probably 13 years ago was my defining moment. And for me, I have looked at what has happened for me instead of to me. Oh, I love that. And I knew immediately within a few months of what I experienced when I got out of an abusive relationship is why it happened to me is so I can then reach a hand out to others who are experiencing the same and be able to supply them with at least encouragement and empowerment of what I wished someone had said to me. Mm-hmm. So you talk about how you are, you really help others create a legacy. So what is your legacy besides being a teaching kids how to be a rock star? I know you have a more in-depth legacy uh, and what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, I, I, I think aim and aspiration is really important. And I definitely am. I have a vision for the world that I would like to live in and the vision of the world that I would like to live in and the, and, and it informs my mission. (coughs) Excuse me. Is I envision a world where everyone can find greater fulfillment and build identity doing meaningful work that enhances the lives of others. And my mission is to, create coaching and content and programming that encourage, that helps people step into their potential as difference makers to find work that, you know, to define the difference only they can make and to find the people that need their, to collide with them so that their lives will be enhanced. And after that, after setting my vision and my mission, I don't think too much more about what will I be remembered for? Because what I will be remembered for ultimately is again, beyond my control. You know, you don't really control your reputation. That's what other people think about you. You do control the content of your character. And if you put forth your best effort in the work that you do, I think that it's possible for your character and your reputation to come into greater alignment. So for me, my legacy, I hope, will be informed by um, the work you know that I get up and do every single day. I try to do it with as much intention as and integrity as I can. I try my best to own up to my mistakes and responsibilities. And ultimately, I don't think any of us will be remembered f- for very long after we're gone. And I don't think that's really the point. I think the the only thing you're entitled to after you're born is to die. 
and what you do between that in that journey from from womb to tomb is that's it's determined by the quality of your effort not not you, the achievements the rewards the the successes you know as defined by other people i think the ultimate reward is to just be a good person and to try to do do some good while you while you can well i will say as someone who has watched you from afar for all these years and had your energy appear in the room before you did i can guarantee you that you're living your legacy right now you are making a difference in this world on a regular daily basis i would even even go as to say a daily basis so thank you for doing that Well, I appreciate that, and I receive that, and um, reflect it right back upon you. And I, I really feel like a big part of my uh, journey has been informed by surround. I mean, that was when I entered the Alt MBA. I wanted to change my scene. I live in a very small town, and I love my friends and neighbors. I loved every student I ever taught. And I found it challenging to find people that would have conversations like this. Mm-hmm. And so when I joined the Alt MBA, I wanted to meet more people that had the, you know, that valued the things that I valued, that w- were willing to engage in solving challenging problems, that were willing, you know, to support and encourage each other as as collaborators instead of com- com- competitors. And you know, going through the Alt MBA, connecting with people like you and all the other alumni. And then moving into the akimbo sphere and, and working there, you know, whatever success I've had has been very much informed and inspired by people like you and all the others that, mm-hmm. that I've met through that world. Well, thank you. And I that's a pretty much about the same reason why I joined as well. I wanted to have these deep, meaningful, powerful conversations on how we can shift. How can we, how can we shift the world mm-hmm. and how can we do it together? So I love that. And I know that you have just, again, like I said, in the first episode interview years ago, we talked about your book Endeavor. And I know that I believe if I remember correctly, you have another book since then. Mm -hmm. So how can people connect with you? How can they get your books? What is creativeonpurpose.com about? And how can they just follow you? Because you're so amazing and take great pictures of cemetery runs. (laughs) Well, I am, would be thrilled to connect with anybody that's tuning in. Creativeonpurpose.com is the easiest way to connect with me and, and what we're up to. There's a blog and a broadcast. I, I post three times a week and broadcast once a week. And it's all there's no pitches involved. It's just sharing insight and inspiration to help people like you fly a little bit higher in the difference that you're seeking to make in the world. If you want to take explore taking a bolder step into possibility and your potential. We do have coaching and programs and, and online courses that you can check out as well. My my latest book is Onward, Where Certainty End, Possibility Begins. That was also an Amazon top seller in several categories. It's a book that is mostly about cultivating the mindset and posture of a thriving difference maker, someone that goes out and explores the edges of their ability and understanding and does meaningful work with and for people that they care about. So if that sounds interesting, you can find that on Amazon and I'm limited, right? Limiting myself right now to LinkedIn and Facebook, but I'm easy to find there as well. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing and being willing to have connections come to you. And this has just been such an amazing conversation as always, every time that we speak. So thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Shea Sparks, you are an amazing human being. It is my privilege and pleasure to know you and to, I am so thrilled that we had this conversation. It's been too long. It has been too long. I was like, wait, has it really been five years? But I think it's been at least four. So yeah, we definitely need to stay connected and talk more often just to touch base and check in. I I love that. And before you go, I always like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Well, I shared the Marcus Aurelius quote, and and that is one that I probably repeat every day. And just that, imagine yourself as dead, you have lived your life. Now take what is left and live it properly. Another favorite quote of mine is from Goethe, and it is, as soon as you trust yourself, you will know how to live. Mm. And so I leave you with that. If you are wrestling with issues around your worthiness or your uh, ability to do challenging things, I think Goethe's call to action and entrusting yourself will help you cultivate uh, a little bit more worthiness. And that will give you the confidence to take a small step forward into your potential. Mm, I love that. And it's so true. There's so much goodness wrapped up when you trust yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. And thank you for listening to the Power of Investing in People podcast. If you took notes, because I'm sure you did, because Scott dropped some major knowledge nuggets, go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review or share this with your friend and be like, hey, you know what? I think you might uh, learn a thing or two from Scott. He's pretty amazing. And until next time, let's get fired up. Hey everyone, this is Trip Odenheimer, host of the Shadows Podcast. Each and every one of us has a shadow. We understand that our shadows are products of our upbringing and obstacles we face. So tune in to hear our guests discuss every week how they turn their trials and tribulations into triumphs and success stories. They embrace their shadows. And that's exactly what we do here at The Shadows. We face them head on. We have a diverse group of guests ranging from athletes, military members, actors, actresses, authors, and entrepreneurs, and just regular everyday people. Head over to theshadowspodcast.com for all new episodes. Episodes drop every Thursday. Maybe saying to yourself, I don't have a story, but you're wrong. Everybody's got a story to tell at The Shadows Podcast, proud member of the Lame and Charlie Network.